right. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the February 2022 ADM Farm Direct Fertilizer Report. This monthly conversation is intended to help you stay on top of global fertilizer prices and buy in bulk in the most opportune times. I'm your host, Zach Janis, and today we got Brian Henry with ADM BQCI. He's going to give a grain report on what has been a wild month in both corn and beans. We got BK Morris with us from Fert Weekly. He's going to give us a fertilizer report update. And then uh, at the end, we'll have Jake Nieder give an update on what his thoughts are on recommendations. And as always, we'll leave some time for questions at the end. Brian, you want to get us started on this grain market that's been tough to try to pick spots to sell at? Absolutely, Zach. And as Zach mentioned, I do manage Benson Quinn Commodities, Inc. The information that our staff, primarily Kim Rugel and J.R. Edmondson, develop on a daily basis can be found at bqci.com with the bulk of that information found under Daily Perspective. There's also a spot there where you can sign up for our commentary if you so choose. Regarding the grain markets, it's been uh, quite exciting. I've got other terms for it, but I probably shouldn't use them on a call that'll have close to 400 people on it at one point or another. You've got many factors that are related to the fundamentals. The primary factor, of course, being lack of production in terms of soybeans for South America. And then, of course, concern about corn production in South America. What the market has responded to, and at times we have seen weakness also, but what the market has responded to is the potential for the U.S. to be able to export more old crop activity. And this feature is still developing. We have seen some weakness the last couple of days, Some of that weakness is related to the fact that we really haven't seen a whole bunch of fresh demand develop for beans or corn in the old crop slot. But going forward, we anticipate seeing better export activity. So what that leaves us with is a market where you're always kind of on the cusp of wondering when you're going to have to rally and ration some demand. Meanwhile, domestically, we've seen corn basis levels back off a little bit. We've seen ethanol margins back off a little bit. The old crop export story in corn has not been up to satisfaction here of late. So you end up in a situation where the cash market's kind of arguing that maybe futures should trade a touch lower here. Perhaps the market has to go out and invite some demand. From a bean standpoint, we have come 70 cents off the high posted last Thursday. So you may argue that that's a satisfactory correction in the bean market. And again, for a lot of the move to these levels, we're really in demand-based market where it just felt like China or someone else was willing to come in and pay what the market was offering. Now we're back to a supply side market, and those have a tendency to be awfully tricky just based on the fact that you're constantly wondering, do we have enough supply? And a few weeks later, you might be wondering, are we exporting enough to make our supplies tight? In this situation, and with the geopolitical issues going on, primarily Russia, Ukraine, but I'm also a little concerned about the Olympics getting over and what Xi's next move may be in China. With all these different balls in the air and with the values where they're at, in terms of old crop, I'm still a seller on rallies in corn and beans. And I've been that way for a while, and I've certainly had the market to run through me by considerable margin at times. But I've 
been able to sell very, very good values, and I felt okay living with it from that standpoint. In terms of the new crop, we have seen the input side of things come back in line a little bit. You've seen instances where December corns challenge six bucks, certainly arguing that somebody should extend some sales there. I don't think anyone's got to be very fancy about it. I think you call the people you deal with, you have them lock down a hedge for you. And then, of course, from a bean standpoint, we're about 14 bucks, And I'm not saying it can't go higher from here or rallies from here. Certainly a spot where people can extend some coverage. Going forward, a couple of things can happen here. One, the bulk of corn production, frankly, for South America, to be honest with you, is a second crop corn production in Brazil. And while conditions are not ideal at this point, there's an awful long way to go on that production and it can improve and you can still see a very, very good corn crop out of Brazil. We're not there yet, but it is possible. In terms of the U.S., we're going to likely see some uptick in bean acreage based on current economics, and that's kind of my impetus for wanting to extend some bean sales here. Again, I take the approach where you shoot them while they're flying, and with spring quickly approaching, we're going to get into some very, very significant report situations in terms of the USDA when we get out towards the end of March and prospective planting and so forth. It just feels like we're at levels where we can lay off some of this exposure. And I would add that the exposure, unfortunately, goes far beyond what we see from a fundamental side or what we believe the funds will want to do because you're in a situation domestically where we're seeing interest rates increase, has the potential to offer a little bit of support to the dollar, though I don't think I'd own the dollar here. We're in a situation overseas where the yo-yo that is Russia-Ukraine aggression or lack of aggression, we're just not certain how that'll play out. And then, of course, you've got some situations in China where it feels like leadership is perhaps getting their back pushed up to the wall a little bit in terms of how their economy is going, what they need to keep their people satisfied. And you just don't know what the next action will be out of these folks. So it feels like certainly a situation where if you can't sleep very well, you need to call somebody and sell something. Otherwise, I would look at it as an opportunity to pick levels, and some of these levels may not be greatly higher than where we're at right now, but I would pick levels where you get an opportunity to extend some sales and just kind of provide some protection or offset some of the exposure that's resulting from high input costs, high equipment costs, high rent costs, and all these different factors. There's opportunities to make money. We've got to mind our P's and Q's on that. So with that, I will shift it back to uh, Zach. We'll be on the call later if you have any questions. Yeah, thanks, Brian. I appreciate that update. Like I said, it's been a wild ride. And <laughs> like you said, you got to pick a spot and just be happy with it here. Moving on to fertilizer, though, we've got BK Morris with us. BK, can you give us an update on kind of what's been going on in that fertilizer global market? Yes, sir. It's been a very international market in the last week and a half, two weeks. And what I mean by that is I want to try and provide as much information as I can on how CRU sees the situation in the Russia-Ukraine problem. I want to provide a comment also on what's going on in China. And finally, we'll look at what the recovery is likely to be like in Europe as things go forward. 
Let me start with the Russia-Ukraine situation. I'm living on the headlines to a great extent, the same way everybody else on this call presumably is. We don't know how that's going to shake out right now. The bias in the marketplace, and perhaps more importantly, the bias in the international coverage is that there will be a piece, and now I'm going to tell you why that isn't going to make a lot of difference to a lot of global supply issues. Europe right now is living with gas prices upwards of the equivalent of 25, 26 MMBTU. If the Ukraine situation settled down tomorrow, those prices would probably come down to 23 or $24 an MMBTU. As you can see, not a great benefit to European producers. And among the things that means for them is that Europe will be trying to buy more imported uh, LNG, and it will be scrambling around looking for other ways to get gas in. The problem is they're supposed to be getting a whole lot of supply off the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. The Nord Stream 2 pipeline, according to European regulators, it has no chance of becoming active before the middle of the year. And it's more likely to deliver effective supplies to Europe closer to the end of 2022. Part of this is a bureaucratic process, which is a bit of an understatement. There are old regulations, existing standards that have to be met. And the Russian company wasn't really in a position to do that. They've now set up a German outfit that's handling this for them. But the bottom line is they don't have a lot of gas, as has made the headlines. They've shut off some of their other forms of energy. And the irony is they're burning more coal now to meet the continent's energy needs. The problem with that is that just burning the coal adds another $104 to the cost of their ammonia because of various taxes and environmental offsets that are required. The average cost of producing ammonia in Europe during 2021 was $633 per metric ton. It has a peaked and was off this cost currently, but it peaked around $1,500 per metric ton of ammonia. They started 2021 close to $250. Nitrogen fertilizer production in Europe is just a brutal, brutal process. And really, most of those costs I just reeled off to you are a function of supply that hasn't really been affected by the current argument going on between Ukraine and Russia right now. There's disagreement between many of the people we talked to about what this could mean in terms of vessels coming out of the Black Sea. On the one hand, there is a, a treaty that's been in place since the 1930s, and other than World War II, generally speaking, has been adhered to where everybody that exists, every country within the Black Sea region, has the right to move product through the Bosphorus without impediment. That treaty is overseen by the Turkish government. The problem is there are a lot more Russian warships sitting inside the Black Sea right now than there were a few months ago, and they're there in case a shooting war breaks out. Obviously, nobody wants that to happen, but it does mean we'll find out just how effective this treaty is if things start to go pear-shaped in that part of the world. And you have to assume that if you get fighting in the Black Sea region, even if it's not specifically in the cities that load fertilizer, that it's going to make it difficult for all shipping companies to go in there. They may not be willing to go in there at all for fear of being caught up in all that. So we've got basically a global market that's being held hostage by reduced exports from China, which have existed for a while. We still believe that those export restrictions will start to come off by the end of April. Having said that, the Chinese government announcement is that they will remain in place closer to June. But right now, what we're seeing is actions and discussions that seem to imply there will be more available 
within 30 days. Again, obviously, Chinese urea doesn't come to the U.S., but getting that product out into the marketplace helps keep that price lower and certainly would be welcome if something prevents product from moving out of the Black Sea. In terms of phosphates, we have seen that the production of phosphates in China overall is down to about a little over 70% versus their normal operating rate of closer to 80%. This decline is mostly seen on the DAP side of the production system rather than the various forms of MAP they produce, which means India is still going to be out there looking for DAP probably in a way that may keep the U.S. a little bit more snug on DAP than actually on MAP. And that certainly is what we've seen in the last few months, that the U.S. is getting all the map that it needs. DAP is a little snug. And as of yesterday, we think what that's going to lead to is a return to the sort of traditional spread in the DAP map price tag at NOLA, something closer to a $20 premium for map, rather than these increases of upwards to $50 that we have seen in the last year. Going back to the Black Sea a little bit, you can easily ask, well, what about the Baltic Sea? Why doesn't it all come out of the Baltic? Well, to a great extent, not all of it can. Eurochem, for example, does have access to export out of both the Black Sea and the Baltic Sea. But if ammonia cannot get out of the Black Sea because of the war footing that's out there right now, that is a real problem for Morocco, for Tunisia, and for India. Because all of those countries rely heavily on imports of ammonia in India that would affect both some of their phosphate production and urea production. For the Moroccans, it means they'd have to go into the spot market to a great extent because they are vastly reliant on the supply of ammonia out of the uh, Black Sea. Yes, they could probably go to the Algerians and possibly Nigeria to obtain some, but that's not really the volumes they need. And producers in those other countries already have commitments for much of their output. So this would potentially tighten the global phosphate supply substantially if Morocco has to ratchet back production because they simply can't get hold of the product. It's really difficult to provide a good guidance on how traffic in and out of the Black Sea will be affected if a shooting war starts. The fact is, during the various Iran and Iraq wars, oil movement out of the Arab Gulf wasn't significantly affected. Libya has continued to export petrochemical products, despite the fact that they haven't had a truly functioning government for a long, long time now. That's sort of the view here from 30,000 feet. I'm definitely going to stick around if there are some questions on that, but that's how we see the situation in the global market right now. You got a lot of geopolitical things happening today that can affect so many things on what goes on over here in the United States. And Jake, I guess I'm going to rely on you to try to break down what BK said here and bring it back home just a little bit. What does that mean for NOLA? What does that mean for MPKS? What's it mean going forward for spring? And then obviously side dress. A lot of growers try to figure out what the best idea is here for nitrogen. And we got high prices on 32 and ammonia and urea has kind of settled down here a little bit. What's it all mean and what should a grower kind of look to do here? Yeah, Zach, good questions. I think I'm going to first start with what I'm watching closely as I view them as major price drivers and identify those and then kind of back into what pieces of the crystal ball we're starting to get a little bit more of a picture of as we think about second quarter, third quarter type pricing. So I know that helps give us all a little bit of guidance. Key things I'm watching, India, and a couple of key things out of India I'm watching are their availability to book DAP, acid pricing, and then also potash contract negotiations. The other thing out of India that we're watching is when do they step back in for a tender? Them stepping back in before the end of March would be somewhat bullish for the market. Waiting till April would be somewhat expected. 
for the market. So on the DAP front, what we noticed here recently, they've been out there for a tender for 750,000 tons. They received one offer. And we would have expected to see China come back into it. You know, what BK alluded to, that China could come back into the marketplace in April. We also expect that. I would agree with BK that that's kind of the expectation of the market that cargoes will begin leaking out, if you will, out of China. But that's a key factor that will keep either firmness or provide a little bit of supply relief in the second quarter that we've got to keep our eye on. Right now, I would argue that it looks to be tighter than what the market's expecting. It looks that there's still control. We would have expected to see maybe a cargo or two out of China in this offer tender of DAP that they were looking for and did not get booked. So those are some key things that we're watching over in the Eastern Hemisphere. Let's talk about what I'm watching in Russia. The one thing that I think is important to note prior to all the war talk, which let's go back to an issue that's still there. There are export quotas or limits, if you will, on tons coming out of Russia. They banned ammonium nitrate sales, and it's primarily to keep the ammonium nitrate in the country and not available for export. So ultimately, that nitrate that the market would be seeking, primarily Europe, and a little bit of some of our eastern Canada, east coast stuff that still comes in here, would have looked to cover that out of Russia. We're going to have to go to alternative sources. It's going to help create a tightness in the nitrogen marketplace. So we're watching that and those restrictions on exports. That has nothing to do with the war or potential war. It has nothing to do with the posturing in the Ukraine Russia. It has everything to do with local market supply and expectations. It's tight in Russia. Those quotas exist on phosphates, on urea, on other products as well, UAN, and it's all to try and keep the domestic price of fertilizer low because the Russian government's worried about food price inflation. So that's the first issue we're watching, which is a real issue regardless of what happens out of the Ukraine and Russia. That issue of the potential political war or whatever you want to call it, war, major issue, if something happens, it's going to drive fertilizer prices up because of the unexpected issues it creates in the marketplace around natural gas, around supply of ammonia, which ultimately leads to downstream product pricing. So a key issue we're watching there. I notice in today's environment, in the Twitter world, you get people that put out comments on what Noel is doing on a daily basis, and I'm sure a lot of you follow them, and they don't think past the trees they see in the forest. And I think it's key to understand what it is we're looking at and past the issue, what are the fundamentals driving it. Overall, the market has been tight on supply and the demand has still been very solid. We think about our corn acre call here in the United States, the bean corn battle that Brian talked about and where we're at in that process, that's going to continue to drive pressure on nitrogen. Another major issue we're watching on pricing, which is this UAN duty. Final duties to be settled upon, I believe, BK, I might ask you to correct me if I'm wrong on this, but is it end of March when that's going to be settled? The short answer is yes, that's when the final ruling is supposed to come out from the agencies, barring any court challenge. And it would also be questionable whether even if we assume there's a court challenge, that that would interrupt the process by the agencies to require the uh, duty. I agree with BK. There will be a court challenge, though, but it's not going to change the fact that there'll be a duty issued. And what that duty is, we still don't know. We have the recommendations now from the two governing bodies. There is a dumping duty as well as a CVD duty. 
And so it's going to restrict the imports of Russian and Trinidad UAN in a rather major way. What could happen if that duty falls through or is not approved is that could take out some of the steam in the UAN pricing and the firmness in UAN pricing. However, you can't get cargos at the end of March here to the U.S. into the interior in time to really drop the pricing for this second quarter. And I know a lot of you are waiting for a dip or a drop or some sign that that's going to happen in the market. Right now, I would say that your strategy is hope if that is your current course of action. And I would recommend that you look at getting your logistics locked in because supply does fill tight. We're seeing producers upgrade more of the ammonia they make into the forms of DEF. And we're still hearing some downtime throughout the entire U.S. production system on UAN. So we believe that the price on nitrogen is going to stay firm in the U.S. and will see the spreads of urea and UAN close the gap on the ammonia spread. We'll likely see urea close the gap on UAN spread. So we expect prices to go up is what I'm really saying on urea in the spring season. We still believe we need some imported tons. So the U.S. market won't discount from here through the springtime relative to the world. We don't see cargos getting pushed here yet beyond what we saw happen at kind of the end of January. And we expect the market to be stable to firm with logistics really driving the major issues. The biggest other thing that we're watching, which is a hard one to give a proper update on, which is the logistics. We're talking barge logistics, trucker issues, class one rail carrier issues across the whole system in the United States, the system's backed up. It's not going to improve by spring season. We're going to continue to have those issues. I'm not here to tell you that you're not going to get fertilizer, but I am telling you there will be delays. There will be increased costs. Waiting isn't your best strategy right now. This isn't a 2008 situation where prices are going to drop on you in the next three to four weeks, several hundreds of dollars a ton. Could there be softening 15, 20 bucks a ton? Sure, there could be. Is it expected? Very not likely. So again, my recommendation on your products is get your just-in-time buying over with, get your supply locked in, and that's across the board on all products for the spring season. Sulfate still feels like it has upside potential on because we are seeing producer issues. They're not increasing their production. In fact, they're losing ground on production, which is going to tighten up that sulfate supply when we get into that April, May, June window. And we're going to see the continued logistic issues on P and K as we start the spring season. Once we're past the first turn in the bins, we're going to have resupply issues throughout the network. There's just not a lot of phosphates here in the Gulf. We've had exports of cargoes out of the U.S., which has driven the price back up from where we were a month ago. So like we said back then, those prices were under pressure. We were recommending getting that covered. Still recommending that you remain covered on P&K as we go into the spring. Let's look past the spring into fall. The crystal ball is still a little bit cloudy, right? Because we're up here in these much higher prices. And if China comes back in, how much do they come back in is still a major question. However, basis what we're hearing from nitrogen producers in the United States with ammonia prices potentially coming in somewhere between $900 and $700 for the third quarter for the fill period, that would tell you that urea is going to have to get into that $450 price range and UAN in and around that $375 to $400 price range. It gives us an idea what those floor prices could be on nitrogen if they all trade their normal spreads. Could it be cheaper? Always could be. But basis, what we're seeing today, that's kind of the expected case where we could go to 
in that third quarter time frame. Helps us figure out how do we land the plane and what happens if you have a load or two of extra product in the bin? What's that downside on pricing? For our folks who are listening in Canada, I, I would continue to caution and tell you that the rail issues are going to affect the resupply in your market. There have been some local market production issues, which are continuing to keep that market tight. The resupply out of the states that usually we would see in kind of March, April, May is going to be limited because of the amount of rail cars that could reach the provinces. And so we expect phosphate, urea, potash to stay firm there in that local market. That kind of covers everything across the board. It was a bit of a hodgepodge. Maybe I didn't hit well on potash. We're still waiting for India to settle out and China to really get a good feel for it. But what we're seeing in Brazil is a resurrection in prices. We've seen a price increase by Nutrien, which is signaling that we're going to have firming prices into third quarter. Could that change? Absolutely could. But a lot of it depends on what China and India book and how comfortable the producers get. A lot of it also depends on what happens with Belarusian sanctions, which again is a Eastern European issue, but it's not a Russia-Ukraine issue. It's still something that could drive the market tighter. If there's sanctions on Belarusian product and that affects buying out of Brazil, that will create more competition for the North American tons to go to Brazil, which will drive our price higher. So recommending that you start looking at those forward values relative to what you can lock in. If there's margin there to be had, get it locked in. I don't recommend speculating on it today, but I recommend keeping an eye on it. So Zach, those are my recommendations. Like I said before, if you're looking at grain markets and you're looking at fertilizer markets, there's just so much stuff that's happening. And as you can tell between BK, Jake and Brian, it's up and it's down and it's around. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. One thing I will highlight here a little bit to Jake's point is logistics is going to be a very crucial part of spring season. So again, whether you're waiting to lock in stuff or not, that's your choice, but definitely try to lock in the logistics piece of it for sure. One last thing that I'll mention, you guys have obviously been seeing emails and text messages on our new sugar product. Again, if you do have any questions on that, definitely reach out to your rep. We'd love to talk to you about that. As for now, we'll put a little bit of a wrap on it, but I definitely want to have time for questions here. So if you do have questions, please ask away. So I've heard a lot of stuff about the next three months, maybe even six months. I'm past that. What am I doing for next year? What are my prices going to be for next year? Is this a good time to lock them in? Part of me says it probably is, and the other part of me says it's going down. Great question. I don't have a solid answer for you. So when it's unclear like that, my recommendation is don't speculate on it. I keep making the comment, and if you can forward book some of your grain sales and lock in your fertilizer and you're happy with that margin, I would recommend not leaving that margin to chance because like you said, and I agree with you, you can paint yourself on both sides of the argument. Do fertilizer prices go up? Well, there's a lot of things that can drive it up. And I would also agree with you, there's things that would take it down just given the fact that we're historical highs tells you there's risk that's got to come down. And the fact that China could enter back into the market, that will alleviate supply. That could create price stability. Our forward prices will reflect these as we get more clarity. Today, I don't recommend locking that in without having that forward sale. I agree with you though, there's risk in that statement. But I don't feel confident in speculating. From my perspective, I don't anticipate saying, hey, let's carry over our tons into third quarter, fourth quarter, because the price picture is so clear yet. Because really, when you start talking third quarter, fourth quarter, you're talking next year and into the spring. 
I know I haven't answered your question, which you probably expected because it is unclear. And I think you see what I see is that you can go on both sides of the argument and I, I would remain open until you're forced to do something either by protecting your margin or you see some drivers that we discussed reveal themselves further. Thank you for the question. In the bean market, June and July basis are firming a lot. And likewise, October, November, December, I've never seen a new crop basis improving this far away from fall here. What's the story behind that? Well, the primary factor in terms of the new crops are, is the fact that the Chinese have been aggressive buyers of new crop beans out of the U.S. And it feels like a preemptive move. Obviously, the futures markets are inverted, and you've got an opportunity for China to look at Brazil, look at Argentina, build an understanding that the supply that the Argentinian and the Brazilian has isn't going to extend as far through the summer as we'd normally anticipate. So they've come out and really kind of made a preemptive strike on new crop out of North America, the U.S., and we're seeing some fantastic values trade. And it feels like to me, I guess, whether you want to sell cash at these levels, which I'd suggest adding some cash sales at these levels, I do think with the basis levels we're seeing, I just don't see where you can go wrong locking some of these basis levels. In terms of the June-July, I really think that over the course of the next two, two and a half months, with the number of beans that have been sold by the producer, I think we've got an awful lot of coverage into spring, but yet when I look at the domestic pressure, I'm not entirely sure they've got all that good of coverage when you get into the summer months. So I think they're looking at this as an opportunity to maybe boost up the basis a little bit in case they get into a situation they've got to fight the exporter for the beans. One thing we've been through since the fall and now into the spring, we went through two or three months where we felt like bean supplies were building. And now we're back into a situation over the course of the last month and a half, two months, where it feels like they're dropping again. And we could easily be back to a sub-200 on the bean carryout again. So people that know they're going to need them are willing to pay up out in those slots and see what they can get secured. So the seventy inverse into the October and the cash markets are better. Is there a possibility it's even even better basis for fall? I can't rule out the possibility of anything here. And for the folks that are going to sit back and anticipate yet an opportunity to trade 20 under right now and you're sitting waiting for option, I guess that's everyone's prerogative. But from the standpoint of running a business and taking advantage of opportunities, known opportunities when you have them, that's a gamble that some people will take. The part that I'd caution if that's the approach, is what if we end up with a significant number of bean acres and we end up with a good growing season and all of a sudden we get to a point where we can look towards next year and go back to a carryout of 350 or 400 or 450 or what have you. And if that is the case, I fully expect that, especially for beans that want to be moved or need to be moved at harvest, I fully expect the trade's going to try and put some slack in that basis by that time. That sounds like good advice. I guess I was thinking ahead about September, which is a bastard month that really nobody knows what's going on. But I mean, could there be a short squeeze there that there's not enough old crop around to make it to harvest or keep the pipeline full and stuff that 
September might have 50 over, dollar over or something? I can't rule that out. I think it depends on if and how the export book of old crop supply picks up. You use the proper term for September. So, you know, that one's hard for me to touch from either angle, I guess. If I were to take a stance that I'm going to try and take advantage of September, I am stripped down to nothing more than my gambling bushels at that point compared to, uh, you know, prior years, 2014 through 2020, I think we all understand our gambling bushels are no longer 100% of our production. It's closer to 5 to 10%. So I don't feel comfortable making a recommendation on what to do there. But I would say that in terms of September, that that one can be the Wild West. And I, I'm not saying somebody that does that can't win. Just not entirely sure it's prudent. Well, you could maybe do it with planting earlier beans that are mature earlier or something, a 1-4 instead of a 2-0 or something. Yep, and we do see that the further south we get. People certainly try to take advantage of that type of inverse, and there's typically a book of business that needs to be satisfied at that point as well out of the Gulf. With all the moving parts, I'm just trying to caution people to not get caught in a situation like we saw in corn a couple of springs ago where we're trading 15, 20, 25, 30 over. Basically, in the matter of a couple of days, we ended up back at 40, 50, 60 under type of situation. I don't think we're going to trade in most of these locations a whole bunch of overs on that activity anytime soon, but we'll just have to see how things develop. Thanks a lot for the question. Anybody else got any questions? Yes, I have a question about an update on the blender in St. Paul. Are there any updates? Yeah, update is the construction is definitely ongoing. The blender is actually up. We're working on basically configuring the big shed itself. So, I mean, it still looks like it's going to be June 1, but we will, as obviously spring approaches, fast approaches, we will definitely update on our next call on uh, what that looks like. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else have any questions? Regarding the South American winter corn crop, are they adequately covered for their nitrogen needs? I mean, is that crop with normal weather going to produce some quote-unquote normal tonnage out of there? Or are they scrambling for specifically, and I guess, to cover that corn crop? Yeah, so to make sure I understood the question, you're asking about total tonnage requirements for the winter corn crop in South America, right? On and specifically? Okay, I just wanted to make sure we got that right. Jake, you got an answer for that one? Or BK? Yeah, I'll defer if BK has any comments on this, but it does appear that they have been able to get what they need. We have seen the Brazilian buyers step back in on phosphorus in particular, which has revitalized prices. In fact, we've seen that move up by about $40 a ton. We've not seen that price increase necessarily in Brazil, but we have seen buying occurring in Brazil. And I don't believe that there is a shortage issue necessarily there. I believe that they're in decent position. I think they're faced with similar issues like we have, which are logistic issues, port congestion, vessels on the merge, all the problems of running a big import business there. BK, would you add anything to that or does that sound accurate from what you're hearing too? It's accurate. One of the reasons we're seeing so much activity in the re-export market for urea is for Latin America, not just Brazil, but certainly including Brazil. And we've certainly seen some uh, U.S. phosphate re-exports, although those volumes are nothing like the volumes seen for urea. But again, it's local, if you will, and doesn't have to come so far. They're buying it 
so they can see when they're going to be using it. So it's a good market for the traders who are doing it and for the buyers in Brazil. So as we know, it hasn't done anything to keep the price of urea up necessarily at those high levels. You know, we peaked out around 800, I believe. But when the price fell in the U.S., that's why it's been able to sell into Brazil, despite the fact that there's a high cost of getting it back on a boat and taking it over there on small vessels. So I agree that there's nothing freakish going on, but that's how it's impacted the U.S. market is that we've seen more re-export activity this year, I think, than we had, than we did last year. Perfect. Thanks a lot. Any other questions out there? So on-farm storage seems to be at one of the lowest levels I've ever seen and probably three to four months in advance of when that normally happens. What's that doing to the grain market and in basis levels? Brian, you got a good answer for that one? I've got an answer for it. Everyone's going to have to decide whether or not it's good, but ultimately what it results in is a fight for the bushels. And we've seen them put the gloves down a little bit in terms of the next couple of months for corn, And really, to some extent, the next couple of months for beans, but ultimately, longer term and deeper into the spring and summer, you've got a number of different entities, domestic users, exporters, the country elevator system that are all trying to get their hands on some bushels. And it results in instances where the folks that run those facilities end up paying prices they kind of wish they hadn't had to pay at times. Tightens up the margin structure to some extent. Thanks for the question. Anybody else got a question? So where do you guys feel we're going to land on acreage this year, corn and soybeans? That's the first question. And now with all this additional crush capacity booked to come online here on the soybeans, what's the new minimum pipeline that we're going to need going forward to make sure that they've got a minimum amount to keep those crush plans going? I think the acres question is, Definitely a debatable topic. I think Brian probably is going to touch on that a little bit. As far as crush pipelines, that's a great question. From an acreage standpoint, I guess when I do my gorilla math on it, traditional corn and bean growing areas, I don't see where corn has significantly lost to beans despite higher inputs and despite the rallies we've seen in beans. And Maybe I'm not doing this math exactly right, but you're seeing differences of 10 to 15 $20 per acre in a number of these areas. I don't know that that's enough to shift people significantly away from what they had originally planned to do. Now, all that said, we don't have the RMA figures out yet, and we won't have them until the end of the month, but that may end up being the deciding factor. The other deciding factor will be if people want to make some adjustment to their rotation because it's maybe gotten a little out of whack. The other factor that happens and the factor that will happen going forward is the wheat production is going to get shifted further to the west and further to the north. In terms of pipeline needed, once we bring on these additional facilities, you're probably taking that pipeline up over $200 million, even to $250 million. And my belief is these facilities coming online are all set and the ink's dried on them, so they are happening. But definitely uh, hoisting up what minimum pipeline is going to have to be in beans here going forward. I know here, too, the acres that you talk about, there's been 
kind of a shift towards guys backing off on corn and corn here, southern Minnesota, southeast South Dakota, northwest Iowa. But I don't know how widespread a lot of that stuff is. And the beans have provided some opportunities for them to make some of those switches too. Thank you very much for the question. That's a wrap on our ADM Farm Direct Fertilizer Report for February 2022. Please join us for our next report on March 30th. Until then, if you'd like to learn more about ADM Farm Direct Fertilizer, go to fertilizer.admadvantage.com. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll get you again next month.